Бутик Политик. Авторская программа Кирилла Задова, посвященная текущим мировым проблемам. Бутик Политик. Предвзятый обзор, субъективные комментарии и искренние оценки Кирилла Задова. С понедельника по четверг с 4 до 5. Бутик Политик. Сказал, как обрезал. Приветствую, друзья, с вами Кирилл Задов от Бутик Политик. Сегодня 12 мая, год 2022. Дату уточнил. Год 2022 Четверг, последний рабочий день для программы «Бутик Политик». Сегодня мы должны, если все будет нормально со связью, пообщаться с президентом Иерусалимского института стратегии и безопасности, Ифраем, профессором Ифраемом Инбаром, и поговорить о израильской безопасности, ну, естественно, в контексте региональном, в контексте внутрикоалиционных вопросов. Там много интересного. Ну, естественно, в контексте косвенно, правда, напрямую не будем этого касаться войны в Украине. В общем, примерно... Такой план на сегодня. Напоминаю, что вы можете мне писать 347-460-0877. Это смс-портал прямого эфира. Задавайте ваши вопросы там. Если вы в прямом эфире меня смотрите, не окунем Филадельфия, Application iHat, Application Ruiz Radio. Везде, везде в нации. Все остальные, кто смотрит меня на YouTube и подписывается при этом на канал, слушает на SoundCloud, читает меня в Facebook, Twitter, задавайте ваши вопросы там или комментируйте на YouTube. Там тоже интеракция возможна и приветствуются всячески. Бутик Политик. Сказал, как обрезал. We see Professor here on the screen. Professor, how are you? Professor Feynman Barr is president for Jerusalem Institute of Strategy and Security. Yeah, finally, we got the connection. So the first question I want to ask you is like that. Uh, Russians are dedicating a lot of resources right now for the Ukrainian events, like for the war in Ukraine. Uh, and the prevailing sentiment here in the United States is that um, because of the huge resources are right now dedicated to the war in Ukraine, then position as a power broker in Syria, for example, is weakened significantly. Do you agree with this or not? I think that uh, the regime uh, is strong enough to survive with only a little less help from the Russians. Uh, therefore, uh, you know, the removal of part of the Russian forces from Syria uh, back to Russia and probably to Ukraine uh, is not a significant factor in the survival of the regime uh, in Damascus. And it seems that uh, the Russians have contacted uh, Israel and Iran not to rock the boat in, uh, in, in Syria uh, to allow them to concentrate on the on Ukraine. So in your opinion, that status quo that existed that Russians were allowing uh, openly or like uh, undercover like those operations of Israeli air forces uh, in Syria, that status quo will, will continue to exist? Uh, correct. Yes, I don't think that the understandings between Israel and Russia uh, have changed. Ну, yeah, and considering all the conversations lately between on uh, Victory Day, on Yom Ha'atzmaut that Putin and Bennett had, and all the apologies that came about, I mean, everything you think everything's going to be just as it used to be. So the next question I want to ask you about Lebanon. Uh, Israel has on, on the north, directly on the north, a failed state. You agree it's a failed state, basically, because uh, they don't have right now uh, situation, the financial, economical crisis, uh, They have a military, huge military uh, militia that is not under the government control. They go government is paralyzed. They cannot do anything. They not, cannot even get 
uh, IMF credits because the, they don't have like agreement and coalition. Coalition process over there in Lebanon is very is very complex and not working properly, and people are in despair. So, do you think that continuing uh, and deepening the crisis in Lebanon can hurt Israel in the nearest future? Well, I think that uh, the Hezbollah is strong enough to maintain its hegemonic position in Lebanon. It has the guns, it has the numbers, and uh, the economic situation will obviously affect the country and also Hezbollah. But even if the crisis will deepen and the Lebanese will not be able to sort out their, their differences to create a, a more stable environment in their country, uh, still Hezbollah will be the dominant force in, uh, in uh, Lebanon. And then, uh, how would you approach that security threat that Hezbollah presents to Israel at that stage already? Because we are deep in... Uh, uh, they have a lot of missiles. We know that they are in a position of uh, attacking any point, any any target in Israel, even in the deep south. They can do what they have missiles that can reach that far, and they are very. They, they know how to fight a war because they were training themselves in Syria. They almost won a war for Assad on on the ground, and they're very professional fighters. And uh, Israel already had a couple of experiences with Hezbollah. They're not like in clearly in Israeli favor. I mean. Uh, I cannot call a victory war of 2006, Second Lebanon War. So, uh, what do you think is the best approach from Israeli side? Uh, in my view, probably the best approach is uh, a preemptive uh, war against uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. When? Uh, we cannot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I can give an order to do it today. I understand. But for tomorrow... But uh, I think that uh, it is uh, uh, rather urgent uh, because if we do not uh, attack strongly the Iranian proxies, uh, I'm not sure that the Abraham Accords will survive. Basically, the uh, Arab countries that joined the Abraham Accords and made uh, agreements with Israel, public agreements, They came primarily because they saw Israel as uh, the only force that can withstand uh, the Iranian attempts uh, to uh, to attain hegemony in the Middle East, particularly when we see that uh, the Americans are getting away from the Middle East. Uh, they have their own reasons. They uh, don't need so much uh, Middle East oil, and they see China as their main challenge not Iran, uh, and therefore they are uh, moving away from uh, uh, the Middle East. I don't think they will you know, um, eliminate all, it, all their presence, but still they'll put much less um, weight on what's happening in the Middle East and will move some of their uh, military presence from this area. Therefore, Uh, if Israel doesn't deliver and really doesn't uh, make a dent in the Iranian strategy uh, to uh, gain hegemony in the Middle East, uh, then uh, I'm not sure those countries will continue. 
the good relations they have uh, with Israel. Uh, I wanted to ask you that later, but uh, because you brought the topic of Abraham Accords to the picture, do you think that, uh, I know that's messing up all the thing, but listen, uh, if Israel will have to uh, conduct like Gaza operation or right now in Yehudava Shamron operation like it's going on now and with, can, it's going to go deeper and more Palestinians going to get killed, already we had some kind of a uh call, diplomatic call from emirates of israeli ambassador to alaxa violence and, and all the thing you know what i'm talking about like all the mass caused by hamas uh by uh, declaration like for all arabs in uh yudava shamron and then galil and galil an israeli citizen of arabic descent that they should fight israelis everywhere they can find them uh, uh provocations like that and israel going to fight and uh, more arabs going to get killed and then don't you think that can be a big reason to for abraham accords to like dissolve uh, i think that uh, we indeed face a multi arena threat which is uh, uh, orchestrated by Iranian. and uh, one way to address it is of course strike on, on Lebanon, and we have uh, to make sure that uh, the uh, Judea and Samaria is quiet and it's not a base for terrorism against Israel, and uh, we have also vast uh, sources, uh, resources, in uh, making sure that uh, the internal threat, the Arabs in Israel, uh, will not materialize. Yeah, Israel has uh, uh, a tall order in uh, its security challenges. That, that understood. No, I'm saying, I'm asking, if we'll have to continue to fight with the Arab threat and to offset Arab threat right now with the all means we have, like uh, do incursions into Area A and... Uh, go to Allah uh, to Temple Mount for compound to like with police presence, heavy police presence on Temple Mount. That gonna cause a pro gonna cause problems with our Arabs allies, like with Emirates, with Jordan, with uh, uh, even today, like Moroccan politician said no the politician said no to meet to Israeli official officials because of that uh, accidental killing of uh, Al Jazeera journalist, you know what I'm talking about. So, considering all the factors that we have to do right now, a lot of things in in uh, to offset the Hamas threat in Yehuda Shamron, don't you think that Abraham Accord can suffer? Uh, the Abraham Accord will not suffer by our operations in Judea and Samaria and by uh, our uh, police uh, actions uh, within uh, sovereign Israel. So what they want to see the Arab states is actions against Iran or Iranian proxies. And uh, this is what's important to them. Uh, the Arabs, uh, you know, indeed are sensitive to the Temple Mount, uh, but uh, we should not always uh, relate great importance uh, to statements of uh, politicians. Sometimes they just pay lip service for a certain cause, and uh, they act in a different way. So they gotta calm down. The, the Arab world yeah. doesn't care about Palestinians. True, but they gotta talk to their constituency, to their electorate, and they have to talk to them, and they gotta 
show them that they are concerned with Temple Mount and they are have the ability at least to reprimand Israel when, in opinion of the populace, it needs to be reprimanded, right? So we shouldn't pay attention. In other words, we shouldn't give a lot of weight to what they say for domestic consumption. For the internal audience, we have to watch what they do in the international arena, right? That's what you basically say. Yes, and uh, after all, they don't have the constituency. We do not. We should forget that uh, those states are not uh, democratic, but uh, autocratic, and uh, basically the elite makes decision with. Uh, yeah, except for Jordan, know, not much concern for for what the people think. Right, yeah, that that understood. Also, uh, let uh, we have to be honest that uh, in the case of the Emirates and Bahrain, uh, and even Morocco. Uh, a part of the population uh, favors uh, closer interactions with Israel. A large part. Right, but the certain part of the population doesn't. And if you look at the Jordan, which have a big uh, chunk of the population are Palestinians, they are not like uh, very happy with those relations that are already in place. Even con- considering that uh, they're not right now in the best place I mean, Israeli-Jordanian relations. And King Abdallah should always look into uh, preserving internal peace also. I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't call whatever right now the regime in Jordan is an absolute monarchy. It's somehow not that absolute anymore. Cause they are, after start of Arab Spring, they're more uh, attentive to domestic audience, I think. So we have to watch that development also. And also, Abdallah is... Uh, uh, Schoemer is uh, his guardian of Temple Mount because of he's the king of Jordan. So how we can uh, our relations with Jordan can be maintained when we conduct our security operations? What do you think? What's the best uh, policy towards Jordan? Well, first of all, I think that uh, the relationship between Israel and Jordan is a complex one. And we uh, definitely see the importance of uh, Jordan as a buffer state. Uh, for our security, uh, it has been uh, it has the longest border with Israel, from which we have no terrorist attacks. Um, so Jordan, as it behaves now, uh, in a moderate way, uh, has uh, great value for Israel's uh, security. We should also remember that Jordan has a rich history of dealing uh, with uh, uh, Palestinian uh, opposition. And usually they were at, they had the upper hand. So uh, King Abdallah is not so weak as uh, we tend to think. He has a strong uh, apparatus, you know, uh, security apparatus. He can deal with some of the challenges that come from the opposition. And at the same time, we should make clear to him that certain statements on part of his uh, prime minister or other governmental figures are totally unacceptable. Uh, we should also emphasize that uh, Jordan is dependent uh, uh, on Israel, on gas, on water. Uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, uh, we should make sure that uh, they do not misbehave. That's cool. Uh, so they are, we have certain leverage over Jordan, that's what you're basically saying. I got it. I got it. Yes, that's, that's, that's a nice point. Right. Okay. Little further from Israel, but I think more important than those are on the borders. 
What do you think a prospect of signing Iranian deal right now, which is stalled according to all media that I'm currently reading? It's not going forward. What do you think are chances the deal going to be signed? Uh, I have uh, uh, certain belief that uh, Iran will not miss opportunity to get a deal that will legitimize its uh, nuclear program that will allow it to continue to cheat in order to uh, uh, progress on its program, on its nuclear program. And therefore, I, I believe that eventually uh, they'll do everything in order that a uh, deal will be signed. Uh, they are bargaining, you know, that uh, Iranians are very good at bargaining. But eventually, I, I think that a deal will be signed, and I'm not sure that this is a good development for Israel and for the West. Then, if it's going to be signed, a huge chunk of money going to be released from frozen Iranian assets, <laughs> and those money going to go right. to Hamas, as I understand, and Hamas and Hezbollah and Houthis in South and uh, in Yemen. So it's going to be like a new assertive Iranian power with uh, serving resources, so it's going to be a big threat for Abraham Accords countries, right? What you mentioned basically is another reason not uh, not to miss, uh, you know, a deal. And part of the money will definitely go to the proxies, but uh, part of the money will go also to uh, the pockets of the elite. Uh, will, and some of it will siphon, will be siphoned to the people. Right. Right. Uh, but we are talking about, you know, over hundred uh, billion dollars. So this is a lot of money that uh, you can spread it, you know, uh, in many ways. Right. Uh, so what's the best course of action for Israel to offset that threat, in your opinion? I understand that it's a big question, but what do you think would be the right thing to do right now? I think, first of all, we should hit the proxies as strongly as possible and prepare for uh, uh, dealing with the Iranian nuclear threat. It seems that Israel is not prepared at this moment. And uh, we should make sure that uh, our military uh, will be ready within a short time. Do you think our civil Israeli civil infrastructure is prepared to do mass evacuations like on a normal scale because it's going to be retaliation, obviously. Either from Iran, it's probably from Iranian itself, themselves, or, and from Hezbollah on the north, probably. It's a speculation, I understand, but probably that's what's going to happen. So do you think Israeli infrastructure is prepared for that kind of events? Uh, the Israeli infrastructure is uh, definitely uh, defended by several layers of uh, anti-missile uh, systems. Uh, we have the Iron Dome for short-range. Uh, we have the uh, Plank of David for interim. And then uh, we have uh, Arrow 3 and Arrow 4. So uh, I think the infrastructure uh, will be uh, defended. The problem is not uh, or less of a problem. More of a problem is uh, the population. That's what I'm saying, right, right. The population will be less defended because we'll have to uh, defend our critical infrastructure, you know, uh, the power stations, the ports, uh, 
ודסליזיישן פלנט, איירפילד, איירפורט, זה קריטיקל אינפרסטרקצ'ר will be defended at the expense of the population and the things that the population understands. The conflict with Iran and pays some suffering on its part. I see. We're going to come back right after a short commercial break and we continue, God willing, and discuss then the elephant in the room, Gaza. So please stay with us. Бутик Политик. Сказал, как обрезал. Друзья, добро пожаловать в Бутик Политик. Очень короткая вторая часть, потому что, к сожалению, связь у нас еще раз пропала с профессором Исаевым Имбаром. Я потом лично отдельно свяжусь с профессором и... Мы договоримся в следующий раз, когда мы сможем это продолжить, потому что, ну, уже сейчас, к сожалению, фактически не остается для этого времени. А, осталось за кадром, как бы, главный вопрос – это газа, потому как это слон, да, elephant in the room, как тут принято говорить, потому что наличие… Вы, вы слышали, как бы, да, что подход профессора, он реалистский, на самом деле, подход из… Э, как это? Силков реализма деться некуда, да, потому что он… Этот подход, он как бы определяет безопасность как самое главное, что есть, о чем нужно думать, как бы в какой парадигме надо находиться. Поэтому понятно, что в случае с газой, если профессор говорит перед этим, вкратце напомню, о том, что правильные действия по отношению к Хизбале – это преемтив страйк, да, то есть упреждающий удар, который нужно нанести. Да, мы это слышали от него сегодня. Наконец-то впервые мы этого вопроса коснулись. Предыдущей нашей беседе у нас не получилось. Здесь мы слышим подобную вещь. Значит, понятно, что по отношению к газе позиция, по идее, должна быть в логике такой же, да? То есть нужно заходить как бы и зачищать. И это сталкивается с огромным количеством проблем. И вот как раз относительно того, что же делать с, непосредственно, как решать вопрос больших потерь, которые могут возникнуть, да, как этого не допустить, при том, чтобы цель обеспечения безопасности была достигнута, это как раз я хотел, эти вопросы как раз я хотел задать, но, к сожалению, связь у нас прервалась и уже не имеет сейчас возможности, я не просто, нет физической у меня возможности сейчас а, восстанавливать ее просто по причине нехватки времени. Но мы обязательно к этому вопросу вернемся. Единственное, что хотела сказать отдельно, вот этот момент, который вы услышали, что да, в отношении Ирана правильно было бы наносить удары по прокси, наносить удары по непосредственной ядерной инфраструктуре, которая как бы непосредственно занимается обогащением. Да? Инфраструктура израильская, это защищена, то, что я вам все время говорил, что это как бы не, не вопрос, да, что есть разные уровни э, противоракетных систем, есть железный купол, который малой дальности, да, ракеты сбивает, есть э, HETS, да, есть э, Arrow система, которая сбивает более продвинутые ракеты, есть разные системы, все разных уровней. Для разных ракет разные системы, поэтому критическая инфраструктура будет защищена, а вот огромные э, кластеры, да, огромные хабы израильского населения, такие как, например, Тель-Авив, который там более миллиона человек проживает в Большом Тель-Авиве, да, все вместе, Рамадган, да, например, то есть все вот это вот, простите, Гуждан, да, вот это все огромный кластер населения, он остается в итоге, он значительно менее защищен, потому что... Э, Тут придется заниматься эвакуацией достаточно короткие сроки, и это сомнительно, достаточно сомнительное такое предприятие. Вот тут как бы наступают моменты, о которых надо думать прежде всего, на мой взгляд. Ну вот видите, тут я говорил вам об этом раньше тоже. Вот примерно, друзья, 
Мы, я надеюсь, что мы поговорили, с нами был профессор. Вы поговорили, мы достаточно, по крайней мере, мы какие-то вопросы могли закрыть, несмотря на проблемы с связью, которые у нас были. С нами был профессор Эфраймен Барг, он президент Иерусалимского института стратегии безопасности. Я надеюсь, что в какой-то обозримой перспективе снова нам удастся с ним поговорить. Друзья, большое спасибо, что были со мной. С вами был Кирилл Задов, вы слушали Бутик Политик. До встречи в понедельник. Вам хороших выходных. Бутик Политик. Сказал, как обрезал.